Clarence, and welcome to Discussing Trek, a Star Trek Discovery podcast, an unofficial podcast about the CBS all-access series Star Trek Discovery. Today, our Section 31 coverage continues in wrapping up Star Trek Enterprise, tier, tier, <laughs> with episode Terra Prime. Like always, I'm joined by my fellow co-host, Slash Trekkies, starting with the Stargate story himself, Jeremy Barrow. How are you doing, dude? I'm doing well today. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing great. I'm glad I got your name right this time. <laughs> I, I, I am too. I am too. <laughs> also joining you there in the room, I guess, is our friend Jonathan Shorts. How are you doing, John? Doing wonderful, man. Doing wonderful. Glad to be a Jonathan. <laughs> <laughs> and last but certainly not least, we have the Who story in himself, Cal Jones. Well, I'm happy to be a cow for some reason. So I'm just, and I'm also glad to be here. So cheers. Awesome. Awesome. What we do on this podcast is review each episode of Star Trek Discovery in somewhat excessive detail. In addition to talking all things Trek, if you like this show and you want to show your support, then head on over to patreon.com slash discussing Trek, where you can follow and contribute for as little as $1 a month. Also, be sure to check out our YouTube, which can be found at youtube.discussingtrek.com. So, guys, before we get into our review of Terra Prime... The next to last episode in Star Trek Enterprise. Do any of you guys have news or any other happenings you want to discuss real quick before we dive into the review? Uh, if anyone remembers the season three episode of TNG, uh, I don't remember which episode number it was, but it's when they, I think the crystalline entity had destroyed this planet, but it left all but like one house. Uh-huh. And Picard and the crew took a trip and like they visited this guy and it was the old lady and the guy and he always thought people were co- anyway. This same house, this is an actual house used in Beverly Hills. Oh, yeah. And it is up for sale now for five point seven million dollars. The Codwell banker person that real estate agent that's listing it actually has a five minute clip of that episode on her listing presentation. That is freaking wow. phenomenal. Wow. And I remember, isn't it where like pretty much everything was destroyed except this one perfect house? And I guess, right. the, I guess the guy was some type of entity or something. The male yeah, part. It was, yeah. It was like, I think it was actually part of the entity or the entity. I don't, I don't remember exactly. Yeah. That was it, okay. Episode. I just looked it up. The episode was called the survivors. Huh. Hmm. Freaking cool. So, Jonathan, uh, to live out your Star Trek dreams, uh, will you be, you know, bidding for this, uh, <laughs> this, this house, um, of Star Trek fame? Yes, but, uh, before that, I'll need everyone to go to my Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> and donate like hundreds of dollars. <laughs> Only the big bucks, huh? <laughs> Only the big bucks. Nothing less. If it has less than three zeros, I don't want it. <laughs> and there's also a Kickstarter and a GoFundMe, and there's a bucket in front of my house. <laughs> so I have a question for everybody. Would would any of you, or, and I'm asking myself this same question, if it was a house of notoriety, whatever, be it Star Trek, be it whatever, 
Would you live there knowing that there's going to be people at your doorstep, knowing perhaps what that house is? <laughs> would you would you still live there if you had the funds to do so? Oh, yeah. oh man, I have a good story on this. So <laughs> this this is Breaking Bad, not Star Trek. So there's the Breaking Bad house, the one that um the the the, the main family stays in. Uh, there's an episode where somebody, I think uh, Walter throws a pizza on top of the house. <laughs> he gets mad at his wife and he throws a pizza on top of the house. So this is a real house somewhere in Arizona, I believe. And people just go by the house and just throw a pizza on top of it. To, oh, <laughs> to wow. The show. <laughs> that sucks. It's kind of a problem. Yeah, I would imagine. You, you know, some situations, I think it would be awesome. A situation like that, it would not. Like if I had an extra five point six million dollars laying around, I would love to live here. And like everybody's welcome to come take pictures, pose, do what you want to do. But you know, something like I don't know, the house that was in The Walking Dead, or you know, something crazy like that, I probably wouldn't do. Yeah, well, it just depends on where your fandom lies. You know, I'm pretty sure there's there's something in all of our fandoms that we enjoy that we might want whether it be to live in a house or in a prop or something if you were at a walking dead house could you imagine the amount of people that would like dress themselves up as zombies (laughs) and stand outside your door every night or outside your window trying to scare you yeah that would be kind of (laughs) creepy to say the least all right well i guess we are ready to get into our review of star trek enterprise terror prime Season four, episode 21. It's almost over, folks. Uh, May 13th. It originally aired in May 13th of 2005. Paxton threatens to destroy Starfleet headquarters if all aliens don't leave Earth. Enterprise must shut down the Verderon array on Mars, but is extremely well defended. Spoilers. Red alert. All hands stand the battle station. I'll give you the right. You cannot destroy an idea. At ease before you sprain something. Which brings me to maybe my biggest problem of the episode. But uh, maybe I should hold that. Maybe I should hold that. Um, <laughs> this Verderon array. Anyway, <laughs> um, let's just go around a horn and just get initial thoughts on the episode. And let's start with the uh, who story himself, Cal Jones. So my initial thoughts of this episode, perfect two-parter, picked up exactly, you know, you felt like you picked up where it left off. Um, I thought it was a good ending to the two-part story. And, you know, I messaged you the other day. Uh, actually accidentally before you had watched it saying that, you know, I actually thought it was sad. So for me to not really care about this version of Star Trek, to say that the episode was sad, I, you know, enough said right there. So that's my initial. Awesome. Awesome. So what about you, John? Uh, again, this was another great episode. Uh, there was a couple of issues I've had, I had with it. Uh, but I'm sure we'll get into that. But I'm with Kyle. It picked up right where we left off. It was a good transition. Uh, it seemed to it, it wrapped up all the loose ends for me anyway. Um, didn't really leave me with a lot of questions. I'm sure Jeremy's going to bring up one or two here that he brought up that kind of made me go, hmm, maybe they didn't. But I, I, overall, I think it was great. And I think it's a great ending. 
Awesome. And Jeremy? Um, well, like Jonathan just said, there were a few. I had a few questions. Um, I, I like the two. I like the uh, the two parter overall. I thought it was probably one of their stronger episodes. But um, I mean, like I guess I have a few questions, but nothing that's going to stop me from enjoying the uh, enjoying it. And no one got on my nerves overall, which is kind of a big feat <laughs> here lately. Well, well, let me ask you this, uh, Jeremy. I know you've just recently started watching Enterprise, if I'm remembering correctly. Yeah, I, I, I'm on season three just on my own, like yeah. at the very beginning of season three. So we've pushed you all the way to the next to last episode <laughs> of Enterprise. Um, coming from just now kind of consuming it and, and getting to season three, does it feel like it's wrapping up to you? Well, I don't know if it feels like it's wrapping up, but it doesn't feel like it's out of place like i've jumped too far ahead to where i don't know what's going on if that makes any sense like it i'm I'm comfortable watching episodes that i haven't got to yet in the progression of the series as i am watching where i left off cool cool of course we know uh right around this time maybe the the showrunners over at enterprise have have already gotten the axe in the show um you know, it's kind of getting canceled in, in real war time, 2005, uh, while, while this is maybe airing or, uh, in production. Um, so I'll go ahead and get into what I think of the episode. I loved it. I thought it was really good touching at the end. Um, but, uh, I guess I'll just start up top with the biggest problem I may have had with this episode. And that is the, uh, Verderon array. Okay. If this comet blasting array is so freaking powerful, so powerful that it can shoot earth and blast comets out of the sky, why is it not more heavily guarded? They just basically went there and landed on it and took control of it with little to no resistance. Does that not seem like a problem? Hmm. I hadn't thought about that, but now that you have brought that up, it's going to eat away at me. <laughs> because, yeah, that should have been like, you know, it should have been like on lockdown until needed or, or something. I don't like I mean, yeah, I guess. like Because when it tore up, when, it, when they shot at the Enterprise, they said it would use like 2% of its power. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, if it was, you know... Anywhere near a hundred percent? Why is it used even? You know, like if like when the Borg were coming, why didn't they use that to destroy the Borg? If only two percent can can hinder the Enterprise, and that you know, a hundred percent could like stop the Borg invasion. Yeah, good point. Why is it used point. in the future? Hmm. Maybe, Maybe after I- this incident, they disassembled <laughs> it. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. Clarence, you ruin everything. <laughs> Well, you know, I'm just something like I I'm, I'm trying to come up with a way to defend the array, but I can't. <laughs> it's just, I mean, and, I, and maybe the only defense there is is there was only two episodes left, and so <laughs> I mean, seriously, I mean, I mean, I'm really not trying to be funny there, but they had to do something, and time was limited, and that was the best they came up with at the time. Mm, their well, own personal they, Death you, Star. Hey, you right. know, you know one. Well, maybe not. I'm reaching. I'm grasping at straws. But there's not many warp-capable ships at this time. 
and they had to go to warp to get there. Good point. So, so you know, you got the Enterprise and their sister ship, and somehow somebody figured out how to rig a mining facility <laughs> with the warp. But anyway, yeah, which is surprising, <laughs> very surprising. Yeah, which opens up a whole other issue. So we just move on. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, what do we think of Paxton's, um, argument that this, this human Vulcan hybrid child <laughs> is the, the biggest threat to the human race? And maybe we talked about this in the last episode a little bit, but, but they're really going forward in this episode that aliens get, get away from Earth. We don't want you. We don't need you. Uh, you know, di- diluting the, the pure genetics of the human race going forward. And they are using this baby as an argument that, you know, we don't want these folks here at all. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, oh, I so want to go somewhere with this one, but I'm <laughs> okay. Well, so that's what we're here for. Gonna, okay. So I'm going to, so I'm going to go there. So, you know, I don't care if you do have a caravan of Vulcan babies <laughs> or what, I just, just have a problem <laughs> With the entire argument, especially when you have people like this making the argument when, oh, what are they doing? Oh, he's dying. And guess what? This is my biggest problem of the entire episode. He's using for his own benefit gene therapy from other aliens to to save himself. But, oh, don't let anybody else, uh, Vulcan baby uh, hybrid or, you know, mixed of mixed species or whatever you want to call it. I just have a real, real big problem with people like that. And that, that actually ticked me off watching him when she scanned him and you realized, uh, that's where she, that's what he's doing because there's the, the entire hypocrisy of all of it just really ticks me off. So that's my thought. (laughs) Now getting down off my soapbox there. (laughs) So what about, um, curious, what about you, Jeremy or Jonathan? What do you think? And so here's the, here's where I got confused. And I don't know if it's because I haven't just reached that far in the series, but there's, they, they cloned this baby. Why? I don't, did they ever say why they cloned her or like what the purpose was or? Yeah. Cause. Oh, go ahead. No, no, I said, well, that's kind of what we were just mentioning though. They were using it as a symbol to show why aliens shouldn't be on earth. I mean, if you want to look at our history, look at the, um, look at Hitler and how the German race was supposed to be so pure and perfect. And, you know, we, they didn't want anything else, um, mudding the waters, um, as far as their genetic genetics and their per- perfect race uh, a perfect breed of, of a species of of human not species <laughs> race of humans so i mean i think that's kind of just the same argument but take that same argument to the world level you know us as a human race entirely um you know and, and it's a good argument to even think about like what if there was another race uh, another species uh, alien species that came here and we found we were compatible. How would we really feel about our genetic makeup going forward? Um, once they start to intermingle, 
You know, it's easy for us to say it when we think of our history and, you know, how different races have been marginalized. But what if it's bigger than, you know, races? What is what if it's our whole whole human species at that level? Will we really have those same sentiments of, you know, uh, of openness of um, or would we try to remain pure as uh, Paxton and friends put puts it? But they didn't even use the baby, though, like for propaganda purposes that I saw that I noticed. I mean, it just everything to do with the baby was kind of contained in his mining center with T'Pol and um, and Trip. So they didn't even use this baby they had created. Yeah. They did. Bobby, they, they did. did they, I miss they, that? Yeah, they showed the baby uh, when they did their initial announcement of all aliens leave the Earth. Uh, they definitely showed several uh, pictures of the baby <laughs> on but, that. But did, but but they but you know the, the point of the baby was that it was sick and it wasn't going to make it because of the of these cross genes. Well, nobody knew that except them, right? But but, but I mean. Isn't that would it wouldn't that have been like part of their propaganda would be to say, you know, because this baby is is a crossbreed, so what shouldn't you know it's not gonna make it because of that, and this is what our no, humanity no, no, is no. gonna end up with. No. I mean like nope. his problem that he's trying to get to, what he's having, which I understand, is like and I guess because we're looking at it as we would look at it now, but you know, he's looking at it like, okay, you showed this baby. And it looks like a healthy baby. It's cute. It's healthy. What's wrong with this? You know, why Why is this an example of why we shouldn't allow aliens here? Like right. an alien and a human well, made a beautiful baby, and here it is. Like, why, is this, why should this make me rise up and protest against the union of planets? And I think that's kind of where Jeremy's coming from, which I, my opinion was I thought that they were going to show that and then after a certain amount of time, they had it designed where this baby would die and they would blame it on bad cross of genetics. Because and they then, purposely did that. Right. Yeah. So that's where I thought they were going with it. They just didn't have time to complete that. Yeah, I, I, I definitely get that point. That is a good point in the direction it could have went. But the I think you need to just reach back to our history of, of why they don't want this crossbreeding. You know, I I think the the German example I gave was a pretty good one of of uh, wanting to remain pure. Even think of if we come to our own American history, think of, you know, white people and black people and how, you know, the two should never cross. <laughs> right. But how would a mixed baby it's it's call someone to it's, say we don't it's, want it's, it's, it's the idea of, okay I, I think you're not thinking i think you're thinking a little too deeply into it thinking <laughs> wanting to remain pure um thinking wanting remain klingon wanting to remain pure and if that purity is threatened um then it's a bad thing that's the whole right. point they're coming so from that threatening that purity to his to his followers, like already followers. He wasn't trying to convince anyone new. He was speaking to people that already believed the way he believes. I, I see the mm-hmm. point you're going at, but he's, he's trying to get them to look 2000 years in the future, you know, where it was, where is it going to, where is it, where this is going to take, going to take our race or our species genetically going forward, you know, and that, yeah. I, I don't know. I, I get that. I don't know. <laughs> 
Do you and, see what I'm saying, know, Cal? You know, see yeah, what I'm yeah, yeah, yeah. I see what you're saying, and I'm thinking of something, and and you, you know, I'm going to relate it to something else that Clarence, you and I have uh, seen. I'm not sure if Jeremy and Jonathan have seen this, but there's an episode in series one of Doctor Who where they meet an alien, an Earthling. She's known as the last Earthling on Earth, and this is in the year 50,000 BC or I mean uh, AD or something. You know, like Thousands and thousands and thousands of years in the future. Lady and Cassandra? All, yes. And all she is is a slab of skin, <laughs> but she sees herself as a <laughs> human. And, and so it, it's similar. Her same argument is the same argument to some degree as what they're having here is remaining pure human. But, but, but the question then becomes, what is a pure human? Right. Yeah, I mean, and, and it's not an argument that's new to Star Trek. I mean, again, like we, even in the last season of Discovery, the remain Klingon argument, you also have the, the freaking Vulcan extremist argument. And, you know, Paxson was trying to bring that genetic part to the forefront, but really he's a, he's a xenophobious. He, he's against all alien interaction with his people. And maybe they were just use, trying to use that genetic bit to kind of further their agenda. But they really didn't need it. Hmm. The, baby, the, the baby to me, it just it just seemed like, and, and I'm not sure if it's just, I'm just looking at it like just, I don't know, it just seemed like the baby just was not needed as either a plot point or advancement of his personal agenda to either his followers or to gain new followers. But it was meant to send, to send fear. Well, see, and I, I think I think a lot of it is um, we need we don't really know where the rest of Earth sits, like which side of the line they sit on. Agreed, but but you have to remember this is post Zindi War and post right. Florida getting blasted. Just think right right after nine one one nine eleven. Right, you know, different different type of situation, but. Think of something that was uh, racially motivated or, you know, in this case, xenophobia and you having you having this event happen right right after that or soon after that, you know, fear is already going to be instilled in a lot of people. And um, wow, it doesn't even feel like we're talking about Star Trek anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Fear is going to be instilled in a lot of people. And, you know, you. Um, you play on those fears to further your agenda, right? And I guess I mean I under, and I guess that's the and that's kind of where I'm like like we just and I guess we should assume since of the Zindi attack, we should assume a large percentage of the population has that fear, and that's not what I was looking at. Like I was looking at a Federation planet or like right. Earth as a t- intelligent. Yeah. Forward species, but see, we've been attacked by the Zindi, so I'm assume. So now you can assume a large percentage of the population is already fearful. So then that baby would inspire more fear. But if it hadn't been for the Zindi attack, I don't think it would have been and, and, as and, effective. And you have to remember, we are just venturing out. We're just starting to venture out. So aliens themselves are still pretty new um, to 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 Earth. So, so you got to take are aliens freely roaming the earth right now do we know or like are they just only um, at Starfleet headquarters that well, um, I guess yeah I guess I, so cuz the guy in the mine in, in the mine said he, his son walked by somebody so yeah. I guess so yeah um do you, 
the only thing I, I, I want to add to to this is, you know, looking at at this guy. One one element I want to make sure we don't forget or, or, you know, gets lost in the conversation. Yes, I agree about the Zindi attack, and I agree that you know this is parallel to our nine eleven. And and actually, when this was written, if this was in 2005, that wasn't that far off from 2001, which was, you know, four years after um, the, you know, actual 9-11. So it was still in our cultural or more fresh in our cultural understanding at the point. But don't forget that this guy represents the people who are going around talking about you shouldn't have mixed babies uh, using the um, analogy that we're using and has plenty of mixed babies himself. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Cal, you really upset you. (laughs) That that really ticked me off. So good. I think the writers will be impressed. That's what they meant. (laughs) Yeah. And there was one point in the episode where um, Paxton's henchman, made the argument of that, oh, in the World War World War Three that, you know, the Vulcans saw what was going on, yet they did not lend a hand to help them. That's like one of the reasons he hates aliens. Which I found kind of weird. But we do see where Starfleet adopts sort of that same philosophy themselves with the prime directive. Which made me want to ask you guys this question. Do we think the prime directive is always supreme? And I know that we could probably say no because they always break it. <laughs> but but should should they help other races or other planets when it's going against what the prime directive dictates? Actually, I think Enterprise had a perfect example of this when um, I think it was like in the first or second season. There was an episode where they, they came to a pre-warp planet and the like leading race was dying out and they wanted Fox to kind of help them figure out why they're dying out. But their, the subservient race was actually going to become the dominant race had they died out and Fox convinced Archer to let nature take its course on this planet because that's what's supposed to happen. Because they weren't supposed to be, I think they weren't supposed to be there anyway because of the, the the earlier version of the prime directive or, or to Paul wouldn't let them do it because they were not a warp civilization. So I guess to answer your question is that I, I think it's, I think it's very conditional. I think that the prime directive is, is just very conditional on if there's going to be an actual advancement for the civilization and not just more ways for everybody to, you know, kill each other. Yeah. What about you, John prime directive, absolute or not? Mm-hmm. <sighs> I, I'm leaning more absolute. Reason being, I'm a firm believer in the. It, you can't you can't be given if you don't appreciate things. You don't learn anything if it's given to you. Like the destination is not that great if you didn't enjoy the journey there. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah, we can go to these planets and say, hey, here's warp drive. Here's food replicators and transporters. And you can make their civilization great. But for how long? They don't appreciate it. Hmm. They'll misuse it. They'll 
abuse it, it it'll just end up being a disaster. And we've seen that happen many times through different series of where, especially in the original series, there's been a couple of times that's happened on Enterprise. It's been a couple episodes where it's just it's caused a lot more trouble. And even on the episodes I've seen where we've broken the prime directive, I still didn't fully agree. Hmm. The only time I ever agreed is the Omega Directive. <laughs> Good old Omega Directive. <laughs> All other directives are rescinded. One of my favorite episodes, by the way. It's a good one. It's a good one. Yeah, but I'm, I'm, I'm more I'm more of an absolute prime directive. It has to be there. What about you, Cal? Oh, see, I was Jonathan. You're really good. I got to give you that because before you started talking, I was going to basically say, you know, the prime directive is mostly just like a an ideal that they t- attempt to follow. But then I started listening to what you had to say, and I'm going, well, maybe it should be a little bit more absolute. So you, you got me thinking. I, so I really don't have an answer there because you messed up my answer by making <laughs> me think. So. Well, that's why I said I'm leaning that way. I mean, I, I, I'm sure there'll be an occasion where I think the prime directive should be broken. I, I just I'm I'm hard pressed to think of an example of when that happened that I was OK with it, though. Yeah. OK. All right. So let me say this. Let me say this. If we go around and we constantly break the prime directive and we go in and you have a, pr- a planet and they're doing fine, do you then almost cross the line where it becomes an opinion of whether or not we interfere with that other race? And at that point, it becomes when are we imposing our own federation beliefs on this society that's fine well it's it's not about imposing the beliefs it's like making contact with them talking to them is is part of of what it it is um so i mean i think if you follow what the directive says you're fine most of the time but i wanted to throw a curveball to that whole conversation and man we're really getting off this episode <laughs> <laughs> But but I wanted to throw a curveball and say, what if we took that same concept of the prime directive, no interference in lesser um, civilizations, take that to our world and apply that civilization's part or planet's part to to countries? Does it still feel the same or does it feel dirty? Mm. That's kind of where I was going with the imposing your own directive is well, it, it's not about it's about helping it's it's it, it it's it's never been about taking over a civilization it's been about helping when in need because that's kind of what starfleet does it's been about making contact it, I, I see what you're saying about you know trying to take over a civilization but i don't think that's ever really been what it's been yeah and 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 i'm not quite going into taking over but i i guess i'm just questioning the the aspect of i may see it as i'm helping but how does the people who are being helped see it Mm -hmm. and that's all that that's all i'm saying i'm not saying that that the Federation is wrong in any shape, form, or fashion. I'm just saying there's a I'm, – I'm just posing that point of is there a possibility that these this uh, planet is fine without the Federation, but the Federation comes in and helps, 
But yeah. does that in turn hurt? So let me throw this example at you. And I, I've actually thought about this a lot, Clarence, when it comes to Prime Directive. Like, how would that apply to us here on Earth currently? Like, would I go to some small third world country in some small village and introduce them to computers and you, you know would I do that and nine times out of ten I've come up with the answer no reason being Interesting. and we have we have examples in our history to say why we shouldn't do this number one we go over and try to impose democracy in Middle Eastern countries that aren't ready for it you know what I mean and I'm and I get this from people that actually live there um, I was speaking to a guy that was from not Iran. He was from Iraq, I think. Anyway, I don't know. But you know, he said the way their the way their government is set up is what they've been used to for hundreds of years, longer than our government has been set up. You know, this is just what the people are used to. And it's all ruled by families. And you have this one ruling family that goes on for a generation. And then families are always warring with each other for power and leadership. Eventually, one family becomes more powerful and takes over. Does it suck the way they live? Yes, it does. But when you come and you take all of that out and you say, OK, here's a democratic government. Y'all got you guys need to get together and vote for it. And then and then like we leave them. Like, what do they do yeah. now? So now they're going to hold free elections. But who? how do they know what a free election is if they've never worked yeah. up to that point? So it's just going to cause chaos, which is what we see in the Middle East most of the time. Um, another example, you go to some native tribe that the only weapons they knew of was a spear and a rock. And you say, well, here, here's an AR-15. How do you think that's going to react? How do you think that's going to turn out? Now, do I... I think maybe we should go and say, hey, here's a way to purify your water. Yeah. You know, here's a, you know, little things like that. We can drop you something there to help you along your way. I think that's okay. But yeah, I'm sorry. No, I totally agree. And I guess, and you kind of open up my eyes a little bit, because I guess part of the problem is that we don't live in these perfect silos as a planet would be, you know. Like you mentioned with the guns, there have been plenty of civilizations that got a gun way too soon. And the the person who gets that gun is in power all of a sudden, you know, a lot lot of places in Africa that way. So, you know, maybe if the earth was in perfect silos where no other interference could happen, but that's kind of how it's been forever. People have been interfering (laughs) in other cultures, uh, contaminating those cultures. So maybe to think of it as, our countries being able to do that might be a um might be a no go. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, but 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 a good discussion nonetheless. Yeah. So getting back to our episode, Terra Prime. Oh yeah, that. <laughs> for the third time, what do we think about the Section Thirty One ties in this episode? So. For us to have been doing these past few episodes, podcast on Section 31, I'm very, so far I'm disappointed in Enterprise <laughs> on giving us Section 31 content. But maybe that, I mean, that's the point. You don't really supposed to know much about Section 31. Um, again, I was disappointed. Like, what information did we really get from them? Hey, 
I need to know how to get to the Mars without being detected. <laughs> oh, I know a super secretive way you fly behind a comet. <laughs> Could we not have figured that out? I mean, Dude. do we need Section 31? Well, actually, I don't. I don't. I don't think Section Thirty One told us that. I think they told us. I think they told them to stay low. Right, pretty much. I mean, I kind of agree with you. It just seemed like we had very minimal Section Thirty One in this whole episode. Almost non-existent to the point of you know, where we're trying to fill up screen time by having him. Yeah, I like his little contract or something because because you know I'm just assuming. I'm assuming that like. I, I, I hadn't seen this episode. I hadn't made it this far in my rewatch of the series, so I've kind of forgotten every detail about it. So when we were when Malcolm was asking him about a way to get to Mars, get to the Murder Run Array, undetected, you know, I'm thinking, oh, maybe they have a stealth uh, ship. <laughs> yeah, a stealth ship, or they got some kind of Zindi technology, or right. You know, that's what I'm expecting from Section Thirty One because you guys. Supposed to be. This is what people. you do. This is who you are. This but is you what tell you me, do. fly low. And fly <laughs> <up>. <laughs> anyway. uh, I mean, that, that just seems like information you could have, you know, paid someone yeah. twenty Latin Mars or you know, or whatever. <laughs> you know, they someone who works in security up there. They could have told you that. Like what was more intriguing to me with the Section Thirty One bit was the handshake. Like yes, to me that was more curious than anything. Okay, see, I, I, I'll shoot another angle at you. If um, May, May, uh, Mayweather's girlfriend had have been Section 31 instead of Starfleet Intelligence, that would have been a little more tying into Section 31. Yeah, that would have been cool. They should have did that. Why aren't you writing, you, Kyle? There you go. See? <laughs> and, you know, I rewound that part just because I kind of missed a little bit when she said who she was working for. And I I was hoping she said uh, something similar to Section 31, because that would have made it, so like you said, so much better. But we'll start fleet intelligence, which still could be a cover for Section 31. Yeah, true, true. Yeah, I kind of just found like the Section 31 stuff in these last four episodes we reviewed. You know, it it was a pretty big impact on the the Klingon happenings we talked about earlier. But these last two episodes, it just felt like it's an afterthought. Um, And, you know, it may have just been thrown in there purely for a nostalgic take on on this on these few episodes. Uh, It just didn't have a lot of impact to me. No. Which is, I'm glad we started on these because then we can go into the DS9 ones, which is a lot more yeah. meat and potatoes. Uh, but, you know, now as far as looking at the series, like I would have expected since Enterprise was the latest series, like after DS9 Section 31, like if you decide you're going to put Section 31 content into your scripts, it should, it has to be like dramatic. Well, I think they missed the ball on that. Well, that takes us right into the discussion of might what might be coming up on the next season of Star Trek Discovery. Um, are we just going to be happy with sprinkles like we have here, or do we want something a little more poignant? Uh, I think if we have something too poignant, it's going to take away from the shroud of of Section Thirty One. You know, because you still want that air of mystery about it. You know, if you learn too much about it, it just takes away what makes it fun, what makes it, you know, entertaining. 
but I do want to remember it. <laughs> like we watch these episodes, but what I what I come away with is not remembering anything about Section Thirty One. I, I just like I want I want like a week after I want to think back. Like you know what? I wondered if that guy actually have a. DNA swiper in that handshake, you know. <laughs> I, I actually was thinking that whenever, I, whenever I saw. That. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, Jeremy, I think I have to agree with you because if there's more episodes, stories coming up in the future, do you run the risk of if you focus too much of on it in the past, do you run the risk of? counteracting contradicting some of the stories perhaps in the future if you just kind of have them there on the peripheral if that's where they're going i think that's where me personally i think that's where they need to be yeah right and and i definitely see what you guys are saying but as it goes we have a a few ds9 episodes and then that's it Ah, okay (laughs) so i don't i don't think they stand a chance of stomping on something in the future greatly um and maybe they just needed the sprinkles here. I mean, maybe that was good enough for the, the show writers. Um, Man, that DS9 episodes, though, like, ooh. just it's a few episodes, but it's far from it's, a sprinkle. It's hot and heavy. Hot and heavy. <laughs> yeah. Like, it, it's, it's pushing the boundary of too much. Now, let me ask you guys. There, so, this uh, Section 31 was not in the... Um, Star Trek, um, Enterprise. I mean, in the next generation. Don't think so. Ah, okay. Don't think so. I don't remember anything in it. So we talked about the the magic comet comet ride. <laughs> what did you guys think about the whole comet um, telling the comet into the planet's surface sequence? I was thinking of Armageddon the whole time they were doing that. <laughs> you were thinking of Ben Affleck? That's that's what. Yeah, I was thinking, thinking of Steve Buscemi and his little weird. I mean, it was just. Uh, I, I was just kind of wanting to watch Armageddon after seeing that part. You know? I was, I mean, well, the, the graphics were better in the movie because it was. I couldn't get. I almost couldn't get past the graphic part, the graphics part of it. But it just. I don't know. It just seemed kind of far fetched for me. But now I still want to go see Armageddon. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the comet ride for me was kind of null and void. I mean, it was just there. It didn't really have any impact to me one way or the other. Mm. Well, it couldn't have been as bad as the flight suits they wore on the comet ride. Those were even worse, if you guys noticed those. <laughs> <laughs> it looked like the Robin Hood jacket with the <laughs> Predator mask. <laughs> Worst feeling of arrow ever. <laughs> I don't know. I, 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 the comic ride wasn't too bad for me. I, I just expected more. And I don't know. It's. Hmm. I felt it was pretty ambitious for a television show in t- 2005 to. Because it, it had a lot of CG in that, those, in the whole episode, to be honest. So I thought they did pretty well. And honestly, on my 4K TV, watching it now, it still looked pretty good. Yeah, it looked good on mine as well. It's just, yeah, I agree. I have no problem with the way it looked. It's just, I'm kind of, kind of almost with Kyle. Like, it was just kind of not needed, maybe. Like, hmm, we could have done without that long. It could have been a shorter part. Like, right. we could have done that in a shorter amount of time. True. 
So guys, we've been rambling for a while. So let's just get into the final showdown. Um, any thoughts on how it actually went down? What do we think of Yoshi's command of the Enterprise in those last few minutes? Um, as well as kind of the showdown between Paxton and Archer. Any thoughts? I'm glad uh, she stood her ground. Uh, yes, uh, absolutely. Because that, that really showed a lot of, uh, from from what I've seen up to this, a lot of growth of her as a character, just to be able to say, look, you don't give me orders. I take orders from Archer, and you're an Archer, so sit your ass down and, and wait till he gets back. Yeah. <laughs> so I, 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 I like that. I appreciated that. Agreed. Well said. Yeah, I was hoping she'd say, leave my bridge, but she didn't. So Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's always, that's the great thing about Star Trek. They always have that one character that shows a lot of growth all the way through. Right. And they always, they always wrap that up pretty nicely. But I, 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 I as well agree with you guys. That was, to me, that was a great moment for her. I enjoyed watching her. Uh, she f- seemed very comfortable in that setting even though she kind of displayed a little bit of that in the alternate universe yeah. episode. Yeah. We're not going to talk about that. That was some good looking. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> um, man, it, listen, this episode, especially with the ending, I mean, we got to see someone, a shy, timid person, like be strong and, and courageous and like forward. We got to see, uh, a lot of humanity, a lot of emotion from T'Pol, which you just normally right. don't see. Uh, I mean, we got to watch Charles Tucker become a child late. In the <laughs> uh, we got to see Archer become, give an Obama speech like. Yeah. Right, you know I mean? Yeah. That, I mean, we've seen so much in these last few minutes that made this such a great episode. And that that was just impressive to me. Like every scene that we cut to was something great to absorb. Yeah. As you mentioned, Archer's last speech at the coalition of planets, I thought was fantastic. And man, and me personally, just knowing those the next to the last episode, it, yeah. there were a lot of moments in the last few minutes where it just felt like they were trying to put a nice little bow on it, you know, yes. to be like, you know, this is the last few moments we're going to, we're going to make a little moment to remember. And I definitely felt that throughout the last few minutes. And what so my, really got me was when I forgot the Vulcan's name, but he was the first one to stand up with the slow clap. Yes. Yes. <laughs> that was awesome. So my favorite part was Dr. Flox's uh, statement about getting away for a little while and finding a second family. That, yes. That was- and you got to see Flox kind of become – Flox has always been kind of separated from the rest of the team. I always thought like he – I mean not separated, but you could tell he, he always played the part like, hey, I'm the doctor here. I'm on a exchange program. This is right. like my yeah. home. But I'm here for you guys. We're all friends. But this one moment, he became like part of the family. Correct. Agreed. So, yeah, I agree. I like I like that statement. Yeah. In addition to, you know, Flocks first making a statement that maybe human Vulcan DNA was not compatible, but he continued to research, I guess, and found out that it was a flaw in the way they um, genetically um uh, reared or brought together this child and of course we knowing the future know that it is possible so 
uh, I thought that was a cool little bit that they threw in there to kind of throw a little subterfuge on <laughs> the possibility of evolving human interaction. So here's was one of my small problems. Like, is Flox's is his science that unstable that he messed that up twice? What? When, when did he mess it up again? Like, well, so when they first found out about the baby, you know, he he initially said he did some studying, and when he was showing them, when he announced, hold on a second, when they were all in sick bay, and he showed the two DNA strands, and he said that this is a offspring of Commander Tucker and Commander Tapal, like, and Ron, somebody asked that question, and I'm, he said, yes, it is possible. He said, I don't see either reason why this couldn't ah, work. I see. And then ah. all of a sudden when the baby got there and became sick, he was like, well, I went through and my prognosis was wrong. And uh, there's actually no way that this can be done. But then at the end, all of a sudden, hey, yeah. I missed something. There was some like yeah, may- somewhere you should have found this already. <laughs> why are you playing with these people's emotions? Yeah, well, uh, flaw in the, cl- in the technique they used, um, obviously, but. You know, we have to remember, too, this is that, at least that we know of, the first. Agreed. Yeah, I guess. So you go from this whole xenophobia and not knowing that we're really compatible with any race, or I don't know, maybe it's been tried. Nobody knows. (laughs) I'm sure uh, Mayweather tried his darndest. Uh, (laughs) 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 Well, at least least she did get a... uh, one final shuttle ride. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we think it's a shuttle ride. He just said, let me take you for a ride. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> I got another question. Yeah. Obviously, on the surface of Mars, pressure is not an issue. So when the glass was fractured in the command center, why did it continue to spread and like bust like they were under serious pressure well it would only take the it would only take the pressure from the inside being different from the pressure on pressure on the outside so depending on what it is in the facility versus what it is outside uh it's going to make a difference now i don't know what the pressure on mars is or <laughs> uh, well i mean obviously it wasn't bad because they were walking around in it they just had to have breathers they didn't even have special suits. I mean, they had a suit, but it wasn't a space suit. So, which means the pressure had to be equal to what they can withstand. Yeah, could so, it, but it could have been a different from difference from normal what humans are used to inside the spaceship. You know what I'm saying? Now, yeah. didn't the guy from Section Thirty One say because of the terraforming they have been doing on Mars that it did change the, uh, it did alter the atmosphere to so where you didn't like. And I guess this would affect that yeah. the pressure too, where you didn't need the spacesuit; you just needed like Breathing. protective clothing. He did okay. say that, yeah. So I don't know. Huh. I just had a problem with the glass breaking. I was like, oh, that should be happening. I don't know. Good point. Any other takeaways, folks? No, I no, thought no. it was a good wrap up, and I know we've kind of already said that, but I thought it was a good wrap up. Cool. It, it just made me think that I want our next series to be after these next two episodes when we wrap up uh, Section 31. I want it to be the last episodes of each series, which is going to be a sad few reviews. No, I am not doing that with you. No, no, no. 
Well, I'll do the TNG and the original series. I can't. I can't do Voyager or DS9. Oh man! Oh, yeah. I love Voyager's last episode. I love too. it too, but man, we may get some tears on get some man tears going. Yeah, <laughs> I, just, yeah. I watched the DS9 one not long ago, and it's same effect. Oh man, good stuff. But that will be that will be a good good uh, episode. So we'd have to have some heavy spoiler alerts. Well, I'm sure everybody's seen. It's it. been 20 years now. I think we can do away with spoilers. <laughs> yeah. True. 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 <laughs> All right, guys. Well, we are ready to wrap things up here. Let's go around the horn real quick. And, um, you know, if anybody want to plug anything podcast related or otherwise, here's your chance. Uh, and we'll start with, uh, Jonathan Shores. Uh, well, nothing at the moment. We're still working on our podcast, but that's kind of hit a wall for now, but we'll get there. I will get there. I'm finally off after 20 days. So maybe I can edit the one we drew on. Googly moogly. <laughs> what about you, Jeremy? Um, same with Jonathan. I mean, he's, I've had more days off than him, but he does all the thing, and he's the, the tech part of it, so I'm kind of waiting on him. And other than that, I'm just, you know, work. That's what I do. Cool. What about you guys? Cal Jones? I, well, for anyone listening who is a Doctor Who fan, you can catch Clarence and I, along with our other co-host, Mr. Lee Shackelford, on Discussing Who at DiscussingWho.com. So, guys. Uh, uh, Clarence, yeah. I, got, I got a request for you. I know you've plugged this lightly before, but I would like for you to plug it again in more detail for me. Uh, what is this voice acting thing you're doing now? Oh, Yeah. Cool. I'm glad that you mentioned that. Uh, so I am participating in a audio serial, uh, for your ears and mind, which is called the Relativity Podcast, which you can check out at relativitypodcast.com or by searching rel- relativity in any of the podcatchers of your choice. And it's a space sci-fi serial. That's pretty freaking cool. I'm only on season three, so that's episode mm, season two and three. Yeah, but I'm primarily on season. You were three. a guest star on. <laughs> you were a guest star on yeah. season two. You are regular on series three. So you can. So is this kind of like a uh, anime type deal, or mm, is it like a no? Um, just think of it like this: um, a guy is in space on a ship headed to a place and ish done hit the fan and he yeah. is the only known survivor on this spacecraft and the only person he has to talk to to kind of figure out what's going on and fix all the things that have gone wrong is his uh flight director and friends back on earth so yeah definitely check that out it's relativitypodcast.com that's by uh, is done by our co-host on discussing who Mr. Lee Shackelford. Um, and yeah, definitely check it out. It's pretty darn good. I enjoy it. And don't awesome. critique me too much, too bad. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you're great. No, and, and, and I will say that you listen to it long enough and I get to the point to where I blur the lines and I, and I can tell very different the, the voices of Chris and Marcus versus Lee and Clarence. So they're very distinctive. So, yes, please check that out. Cool, cool, cool. 
All right, guys, thanks to everyone for joining. Uh, please be sure to like and subscribe. Check out our website at discussingtrek.com. And until next time, guys, live long and prosper. <laughs>